I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's in a sweltering Vienna, which is the capital of Austria, a country which is not only Catholic, but gives women control over their bodies. Abortion is freely available here. Today, I'm joined by Amy Everett, the president of the Golden State Opportunity and the ex-state director of Narwhal, the pro-choice America organization. Steve Crone, constitutional law expert and ex-Supreme Court staffer. Mark Pinsley, who is the Democratic candidate for state senate in Pennsylvania. And we have political activist Andrea Sikorsko from New York. So in a week where America and, dare I say, the world is still reverberating from the decision of the Supreme Court last week, we can ask, after Roe versus Wade, what comes next? The court's ruling is reverberating far beyond the country's borders. CBS's Ian Lee is in our London bureau with the international reaction. Ian. Adriana, the court's ruling made the front pages despite the UK's own current political turmoil, underscoring the significance of the decision. When the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade, the whole world was watching and reacted. In Paris, several dozen protesters took to the streets in solidarity. French President Emmanuel Macron tweeted, abortion is a fundamental right for all women. It must be protected. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau also took to social media saying, the news coming out of the United States is horrific. No government, politician or man should tell a woman what she can and cannot do with her body. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson also condemned the decision. Clearly it has massive impacts on people's thinking around the world. It's a very important decision. I've got to tell you, I think it's a big step backwards. The overturning of Roe comes as many countries have eased restrictions on abortions in recent years, including overwhelmingly Catholic Ireland, Mexico, and Colombia. But the Vatican praised yesterday's decision, saying, by choosing life, 
our responsibility for the future of humanity is at stake. According to the Center for Reproductive Rights, the United States now joins just two other countries who have restricted abortion in the 21st century. Compare that to roughly 50 countries over the past decades who've made getting an abortion easier for women. Steve, you're a constitutional law expert. You spent time in the Supreme Court. Just remind us for the rest of the world who is still aghast at this decision. Tell us exactly what the decision said and tell us about the dissenting voices. I'm first going to quickly object to your characterization of me as a constitutional law expert. I did clerk on the court. I do follow the court's cases closely. I even was a law professor, but I certainly don't consider myself a constitutional law expert. Having said that, I will answer your question. The court said a lot of things, but I'll try and summarize quickly. First, they, they, they said that in, in order for a, a constitutional right to be recognized under something called substantive due process or a liberty interest, it, it needs to be in the words of the court, rooted in the nation's history and tradition and or an essential component of ordered liberty. They then proceeded to go through an historical exercise. I am not an historian, but I will say that as a general matter, when the court tries to become historians, they don't always do such a great job. That's a general statement, not necessarily with regard to this case. And they essentially said, look, at the time that the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868, the understanding at that time would not have been that the language of the 14th Amendment protects a right to abortion. And that was really the touchstone of the opinion, this idea that when we're interpreting the Constitution, whether it's the language of the 14th Amendment or the language of the Second Amendment, We need to look back to the time when that language was ratified and became part of the Constitution and examine historically what people would have thought it it understood it to protect and not protect. This is obviously a view that freezes the interpretation of the Constitution, even assuming you can answer that question with any certainty. And I would dispute that that in many cases, there is a clear answer to that historical question. But it obviously freezes the, the interpretation of these broad pronouncements about freedom of speech, freedom of religion, due process of law, equal protection. Steve. It freezes them. Yeah. Steve, right. Because three quarters of the audience here are not going to be American, tell us what the 14th Amendment is, because it's obviously Uh, key to how you're interpreting the ruling. Yeah. So part of the language of the 14th Amendment guarantees all persons due process of law and equal protection of the law. About 100 years ago, the Supreme Court decided that the notion of due process of law includes not only what we would call procedural due process, things like in a criminal trial context, the right to a jury, the right to confront witnesses against you, in the, in the, in the context of legislation being passed, you know, appropriate procedures for votes of the legislature or, you know, signing by the executive. In addition to those procedural elements, the Supreme Court recognized the idea that there, there's a substantive component to due process, 
which means that there are certain rights that are part of the notion of due process. And even if they are taken away with, quote unquote, good process, it still violates the Constitution. And those rights that the court has recognized include the right to obtain contraception, the right to an abortion, the right to engage in sexual acts in the privacy of your own home. These are all things that the court said cannot be criminalized because they're within a zone of liberty or privacy where they have some constitutional protection. So, Steve, am I then to understand then that because this flies in the face of at least a lot of people's understanding what the 14th Amendment is about, that not only does this immediately curtail a woman's right to her own autonomy over her own body, but also potentially uh, a sex could be criminalized. This is potentially the thin end of the wedge. It is, but I'd like to make, I'd like to agree with that point. I'm not disagreeing with what you just said, but I'd like to make a slightly different point that I actually think is is very important. And that is, many have pointed out, as you said, that the logic of this opinion, the legal rationale of the opinion, extends equally well to those other areas of constitutional rights. And people have pointed to, to Justice Thomas's concurrence where he says that explicitly. He says, indeed, the court should revisit those other areas and, and the court should do away with substantive due process completely. But the point I'd like to make is, what this also points out is that the majority decision is utterly unprincipled because what the court says is explicitly, what the court's opinion says is this only applies to abortion. This opinion should not be read and in no way does it affect those other substantive due process rights. The problem is the rationale of their opinion applies equally well to those other areas. And this is the definition, in my view, of unprincipled judging. They're saying, here's our theory, here's our reasoning, but we only want to apply that reasoning to abortion. Don't forget it in those other areas. It really is a decision that I think is utterly results oriented and unprincipled. So would you say then that these conservative judges were going to come up with this decision anyway, but needed some level of a rationale for it. And this is the hook which they hang their coat on. Yeah, I'd even say a little more than that. I mean, I think this notion of original understanding of provisions of the Constitution, this notion of anchoring what the Constitution means in somewhat ancient US history is inherently a value judgment. It's inherently locking us into value judgments. At the time that the Constitution was ratified, obviously, a slavery was legal in this country. Women were second-class citizens at the time that the 14th Amendment was adopted. The idea that we're going to freeze our substantive understanding of these constitutional provisions in the, in the time in which they were ratified isn't objective it isn't taking judges' opinions out of it. It's sealing their opinions in because of the time that we're looking at with regard to this constitutional language. 
Thank you for that. Amy, going to come to you now. Abortion hasn't been outlawed throughout all of the United States. This has has to be said, and and I'm saying this again specifically for the people who, the two-thirds of the people who are going to be listening to this podcast who are in the UK or in other English-speaking bits of the world. What exactly is the situation now if a woman finds herself pregnant in a state which is, let's say, is hostile or has a trigger law around Roe versus Wade, how can she take or take control of her body and look for an abortion? What's the situation for her today? Amy Everett. Thanks, Royfield. I'm happy to be on with you and talking about this important topic. So today in America, and this will might be shocking to pretty much anybody listening, is a lot like last week in America. Your ability to access abortion care has depended on your state and your zip code since 1992, when there was a second Supreme Court case called Casey versus Southeastern Planned Parenthood, which ruled that states could make laws restricting abortion as long as they didn't present an undue burden to women. And the courts didn't find any burden undue until 2016 in whole women's health. So for a very long time, where you live dictated what kind of access you had, even though there was this fundamental underlying right to access reproductive health care of any sort. But if you were a woman last week living in Texas, you could not access an abortion there. You had to go to another state. And what is happening now across at least 20, about 30 states, is that now you kind of are not sure where you stand. There are 21 states that have outright prohibited or soon will prohibit. Those are ones with trigger laws. And a trigger law is where they literally, these states passed a state law that said, if Roe is ever overturned, we're going to make abortion illegal. Some of those states have to now certify the Supreme Court thing. They need to pass another law. There are some procedural issues in order to get the trigger law implemented. Other states have just outright passed laws that have banned abortion up to six weeks like Texas, up to 15 weeks like Mississippi, and all those laws now go into effect. There are nine states where there are 21 states that have absolutely prohibited or soon will nine states, it is legal right at this moment, but about eight of them are working really hard to make it illegal. The ninth is Michigan, where we have a pro-choice governor who will veto it, but be possibly be voted over. And then there's 21 states where it's legal, and we should focus on that for a minute. They are the states that have kept it legal. You can imagine it's the entire West Coast. It's New Mexico, it's Colorado, and the Northeast, and Illinois, and Minnesota. And in those states, they are getting ready, and especially in California, they're getting ready for what they predict will be an influx of people from other states coming to their states to access abortion care. So abortion in, let's say, in Indiana, which was in fact legal a week ago or two weeks ago, um, now those clinics have closed, those clinics that were open for, say, one week out of a month is now closed. Now they're going to have to go to New Jersey or New York or Illinois. So now the burden of accessing care has become greater. On top of that, 
there are now state legislatures, mostly in those 21, 30 states that want to make it illegal, that are trying to figure out any possible way a woman could access abortion care and shut it down. So they are looking at passing laws that say you cannot use the FDA-approved abortion pills, the mifepristone, that is a medical abortion rather than a physical procedure. They are looking at creating fines and outlawing the ability to travel to another state to terminate a pregnancy. So what we're going to start seeing is a whole new realm of, and I defer to Steve on this, but I think it's going to be a whole new realm of laws and court cases around what state constitutions allow, because some of these states that want to make it illegal, their state constitutions actually do almost explicitly protect a woman's right to choose. So states are looking at constitutional amendments. California is looking at one that will make it even clearer that we are a reproductive freedom state. Others like Kentucky are trying to get rid of their constitutional language that makes abortion legal in their state. And then there's all the other laws that are going to need to be litigated. What happens? How do you define the life of a mother? How do you, you know, can you be fined if you live in Texas and you travel to California for care? Is the, are the folks in California, the doctors and providers, going to be held accountable and, and, and extradited to Texas to stand trial? All of these things, because this is was a fundamental right for 50 years and, and you didn't have to think about those questions, those are now coming to the forefront. Uh, thank you for that kind of great, great summation of, of where we are. Two quick questions. Number one, are there any legal challenges in any of these states which have trigger laws or laws which, say, give th- a 30-day period before when Roe versus Wade is overturned before then putting in their bans? Are there any legal challenges there to those? And then number two, with your kind of expert opinion working in your ex-organization, NARL, which is very much kind of like the pro-choice organization in America, do... you know? Is there going to be the capacity and let's say the now new border states to be able to cope with women traveling from these rural states, overwhelmingly southern states, to access abortion care? Will the health services in those states be able to cope? Yeah. So to your first question, if I remember right, is are there current ones? Yeah. I mean, this is the first line of defense is that in places like Indiana, and I think it's Kentucky and Florida and Nebraska, there are court cases already there that are saying your trigger law is illegal. And in some, it is unconstitutional because of the state constitution. And in some of those places, that's real. And in other places, it's a delay tactic. So a lot of it comes down to what is the language in the state constitution, where there could be court challenges to ending abortion in those states, there are. Even when there really isn't a lot to go on, there still are. So everybody, I mean, the the pro-choice movement, the reproductive freedom movement right now is really focusing on how do you delay the impact of these laws for as long as possible. And then to your second question, at the same time, like a state like California, we just passed this massive budget. And in it is literally millions and millions of dollars to gear up the clinical care support for reproductive health. So there are, we have established for the first time an abortion fund to help cover the cost of travel 
and child care and housing for when you're accessing care. There is money in there to train more providers, to provide more information and support to the clinics that are on the ground already providing it. Now, not all states have the kind of resources that California does. So like in New Mexico, they a few years ago were pre-essent in ending their trigger law, but they're also in a place where like, now we're kind of, we're fine, but they don't, they're not augmenting what they're doing. What They're not providing more support to their healthcare clinics. A place like Illinois absolutely is. But one in New York as well. And one of the, but one of the new things on the horizon is that folks are now sending millions of dollars to frontline healthcare centers. So they're sending money to Planned Parenthood, which only provides like 11% of all abortions in the country. It's really these independent providers who do the bulk of abortion care who are closing. And so in the states where they can get resources to clinics to continue to provide care, and housing allowances and all the other things that are now required in order to access care, private philanthropy is really trying trying to fill in the gap. And it won't be able to fill in the entire gap for everybody. And so, you know, that is that is sort of the state of play. You have to be able to be a person who is pregnant and scared and wants to terminate and have the wherewithal to go online or figure out how to find one of these funds or one of these providers who will help get you to where you need to go. So there's the reemergence of like the Underground Jane, which was a pro- project pre-row that helped women access care safely. And you're seeing a reemergence of those in a 21st version, which is important. And by the way, it's NARAL. <laughs> you know what? Thank you for that. My, my dyslexia strikes again when I, was, when I was just looking at the capital letters. But thank you, the ex-president of that August organization. This is a recording of Mid-Atlantic. Mid-Atlantic looks at US and UK politics, at least that's what we do normally. The podcast has been running for some eight years now. We're on all podcast platforms. If you're in the audience and you've never heard of Mid-Atlantic, two things you can do. Number one, hit the little green icon of the little house top left on your smartphone. You You can become a member of the club. So whenever we go live with these rooms, you can be alerted. The second thing you can do is then go and subscribe to us on any of the world's most popular podcasts podcatchers and uh, maybe go and listen to some of our back catalogue. If you are listening to this at home, not in uh, not on Clubhouse, what you can do is download the app for Clubhouse to your phone. And what, and what it means is that you have a front, front side seat when we actually record these shows, which then means that you could be a part of the podcast. You can actually ask a question to some of the people who are on the panel and then and then hear yourself, you know, ask your question on the podcast later when it's published. So download the Clubhouse app and you can be part of the recording. Andrea, I want to come to you. What can Americans do to try and overturn this decision? To me, this seems like an utter open goal for 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 Democrats running in kind of purplish districts or purplish states come the midterms. But I'm always the glass is half full. And uh, we did talk about this in, in a room just last week. And you, 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 tampered, you tempered me a little. What can Americans do to organize to try and get this ruling overturned? Well, thanks, Royfield. So Amy highlighted a number of the things very well that are actually 
going on at the moment, specifically looking and pushing in a specific state to get rights protected. I'm very excited that New York on Friday has enshrined the right to abortion into law. And so that is a, we are going to be a reproductive freedom state, as Amy said. And there are many organizations and networks mobilizing in the states. For example, there is a list that is going around you can sign up to be a volunteer to house someone who is coming to New York who might need housing or assistance if they're coming for an abortion. So these are some of the things we can do to help folks if you're in a reproductive freedom state. But of course, with the midterms coming up, really, if this isn't a rallying call for people to step out and step out on voting day in November, they can absolutely use their vote and we should be turning out the vote for women's Right. Above and beyond that, I believe also it is going to be, I actually had a question for Steve, because this notion of what you mentioned, Royfield, that they are trying to make it illegal to cross state lines to have an abortion. I'd love to hear from anyone on the panel. This seems as if it's unconstitutional. I mean, during COVID, states couldn't close borders for people crossing over. And so I'm very interested in in whether that is actually feasible. I mean, they can pass a law, but what can they, what can they really do? And then secondly, the last point I wanted to make is that in addition to voting, let's not forget that there are businesses as well. So many businesses are stepping up to the plate in terms of supporting employees, offering relocation packages, offering to cover travel for their employees if they have to travel out of state for medical care. And as Amy said, I think it's going to open up a, a window for very interesting legislation. Are the companies breaking the law and how and how that will look? But it, right now, your greatest, biggest hope, aside from expanding the court, which is not in, in our power, we can call for that action, is to vote and vote as if our lives depend on it. I'll land my plane there for a minute. Point really excellently made about the power of voting, exercising your democratic duty, if you believe that this decision is injurious to a woman's independence and autonomy. But to, to your first point about crossing state boundaries. Um, does anybody want to jump in and, and answer that? And then after that, we'll, we'll move on to Mark Pinsley. Amy. Yeah, I'm happy to. So as somebody who's worked in the reproductive freedom space for over 20 years, you are right that it may not be constitutional and it may not be legal. And I don't think they care. They're looking at creating laws to create a fog around what can happen. If a doctor in Illinois fears that they will be fined someplace else, does that stop them from providing care? Does it stop a woman or her husband or her mother or her friend or her boyfriend helping her get to that state? Because what they did in Texas is what other states are trying to do, which is create what's called a right to private action. So it isn't like the district attorney who's going to come after you. It can be your neighbor who reports you. And then you have the duty to defend yourself in some way. And as a part of that, we'll be naming names and doctors' names and nurses' names. And so that is what the goal of those kinds of laws, which I agree are probably will eventually be considered illegal, but they will have to wind their way to the Supreme Court, which probably will delay hearing it because they don't want to hear it. So that is, I think, when I'm talking, when I mention that crossing state lines, they're looking for ways 
to stop people from accessing reproductive health care. They're looking at the states that are girding themselves and getting ready for the influx of other people coming to their states to access care and figuring out how do they stop that too. Mark, you're running for state Senate in Pennsylvania in November in the midterms. How has this decision maybe impacted your campaign? Well, we can certainly see that even Republican, especially Republican women, you know, find this issue very important. And so, you know, one of the things that I'd like to mention is, is that, you know, one of the things that this ruling has shown is that a lot of these decisions are going to come down to the state level. Right. So we have the federal level of government and we have a state level of government. And in Pennsylvania, we're, we're very similar. We're designed very similar to the federal government in that we have a, a Congress and executive and a judicial branch. And right now for us, for example, the Congress, which we have a Senate and a House, they're both Republican, meaning that the only blue area in our state right now is the governor. And the governor is the only protection that women have currently. And so we're seeing a lot of focus, obviously, on the governor's race and then also on the state Senate race. You know, I'm not sure that people quite realize yet how important these state Senate well, state legislator races are in comparison to a typical federal race. So, you know, here in the states, you know, a lot of people pay very close attention to federal races. You know, so that's, you know, our U.S. Congress, you know, our president and our U.S. senators. And they pay a little bit less attention to the state level races. And I'm hoping that they start to understand how important this is because we need to build a foundation to make sure that women are protected. You know, and, and one example of that would be just as I think Andrea had said earlier, you, you know, the ability for, let's say, a doctor in our case in Pennsylvania to be sued. Well, we can make it very difficult, you know, at the state level to allow that to happen. Just say we're not going to reciprocate with, the, you know, with another state and we're not going to provide them with the information to another state so that we can protect our doctors, as an example. So, so you, you really painted a really vivid picture of the complexity, but also the power that state politicians are going to have, most definitely, and let's say in those purplish states, and Pennsylvania is most definitely one of those. But specifically, let's say, with you running for state Senate in November, is your messaging going to change? Have you noticed, let's say, more donations? Are people now coming up to you and saying, what exactly is your position on Roe versus Wade? How has this impacted on you personally? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I, I definitely have seen more donations. And of course, I would love to see more for those listeners that are listening. And yes, I mean, I, nobody has questioned me specifically on my stance on Roe versus Wade because it's very clear. I've also been endorsed by Planned Parenthood, Vote Pro Choice, and and others. So my my stance is clear. What what they're looking for right now is to understand. So what can the state do? You know, where you know what are the things that we can do? And I think that those are probably important. So, for example, here in Pennsylvania, one of the things that had been done previously is we I can't remember if we have seven or 17 clinics. I apologize, but we've maxed out there. And the reason that we maxed out was because the legislator previously had created a law that made it very difficult to open a, another clinic. And they did this, you know, through ways like saying, well, the hallway in the clinic has to be so big that you'd have to you know, build a very specific place for that. They've said, you know, the flooring has to be very specific. You know, it has to be basically a hospital. And so they did this specifically in order to stop new clinics from being built. 
So those are kind of, and that's done at the state level. So those are the kind of things that we can overturn ourselves. And of course, we can you know protect the, the right of abortion completely. Roy Field, if if I may add on one point to what Mark is saying. Absolutely. I I'm really glad, Mark, and good luck with your race that you mentioned the importance of the state legislatures as had Amy before. I just can't say enough that what's at stake right now in these midterm elections is absolutely critical and and it, it goes beyond also protection of women's rights, but it's actually the very fundamental protection of our democracy, not to conflate issues, but you know that there are many candidates who are running on election subversion platforms that are that are looking to create a pathway to potentially, you know, over, kind of chuck out the will of the people and the actual votes of the people in, by getting into the secretary of state positions mm-hmm. and, and with the Supreme Court potentially upholding independent state legal doctrine. So there is, it's just critically important to get out and vote at the state level and pay attention to your down ballot races as well. And this just also one other point to highlight that so many of these critical issues are really impacting women of color, black women and other people of color and poor people far more than 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 everyone else. And so it's critical to make sure that these funds and the abortion funds are actually allocated to those local clinics and areas where the services are most highly used and, and need. Thank you for that, Andrea. Dr. Dan, thank you for joining us. I don't know how the, the calendar messed up the timing. But Dr. Dan, could you give us some of the maybe, let's say, unintended consequences medically of, of this decision? Very obviously, there is a potential for more unwanted pregnancies. But are there any other medical say, outcomes which you expect to see because of this overturning of Roe versus Wade? Yes, uh, thank you, Roy Field, and good afternoon, good morning, good evening to everyone and those listening. My name is Dr. Dan. I'm an emergency physician by trade, a former Obama administration by defense and public health appointee, and an ER physician and a veteran. This is definitely going to have an impact. We're already seeing it. The cases and other places where people have been harmed through this decision. Um, I, I guess I'll highlight the most important things that I will be seeing and many of my colleagues will be seeing in the emergency department. This is the safety net for healthcare when healthcare goes wrong or you have an emergency, literally when there's a dire situation like this. So what will happen is people will either wait to the last minute seek their friend, cousin, relative who has no business doing a procedure, trying to help them do a procedure, be it aborting an unwanted pregnancy or giving advice and saying you need to do this or that to circumvent the system. And the consequences are they'll end up getting sick, severe to the point where they actually then seek care, but it's usually too late, meaning they're actively bleeding out or they have had worsen complications, which ultimately means, and this is one of the quotes I said, people will be coming to the emergency department to die, literally. And that's as as clear as I can put it with regards to consequences. There are many things that lead to pregnancy outside of the normal cavity of where it should be, be it genetics, be it just some mishap. And certain things happen like that. But when you have a pregnancy that is what we call an atopic pregnancy, a pregnancy in the wrong place where it implants. There are many consequences from breeding loss, clots, and even future consequences for even reproduction later on. So 
it overwhelms the medical system, one. There are consequences. People are going to die. And then doctors also may be hesitant and not as clear, those who aren't as well-versed on the policies in different states, those who do locums, basically freelance, and they go to different states, have to know the laws in different states. They may be trepidatious or they second-guess themselves for fear of consequences that they don't know. So these are how the medical system and the professional, their capabilities get eroded. And also, if you're persecuting doctors, they're not going to offer those types of care, anything that seems similar to it. So those are some of the risks, at least that I see in terms of the consequences and the resources. You know, Planned Parenthood has a cash net. While it's known for its work in the area of abortion, they do actually a lot of preventative care for teens and pregnancies and mom and just adolescents in general for those who don't have access to care. So everybody gets uh, smeared with this whole process and the little pieces that are not clear will come to light and there are also consequences. I think what is critical is increasing investment in family planning and education and obviously contraception, but there is some concern as Steve has talked about the potential that perhaps they'll start trying to legislate against contraception as well. So this is really requires a full-on assault <laughs> to respond to this. I think it's a long-term play as well. But I'm very curious to ask Amy whether she thinks that the reproductive rights movement, I'm curious as to how well-coordinated you feel they are. Thanks, Andrea. I appreciate that question. You know, for all the knowledge that people have been, who have worked directly in the reproductive health rights and justice spaces have known for so long that this is probably going to be an outcome, the overturn of Roe. I'm, I have been, frankly, disappointed with the response. The response has been, send us more money. Here's another critical election, which it absolutely is, and we need to win the votes. But the reality is we've had the votes before. We've had a Democratic majority before in the House, in the Senate, and in the White House, and we haven't done it. So my hope for the future, what made me sad but hopeful since last Friday, is an idea that now that Roe is no longer the anchor weighing down the whole movement, for 50 years, the entire reproductive rights movement, and I use that term very specifically, has been focused on protecting the Supreme Court case. But this Supreme Court case, Roe, did not protect everybody. As you pointed out, Andrea, poor and low income and vulnerable and immigrant women have been left out. They have not had the reality of Roe be a part of their lives. So now that every opportunity to do something new or innovative isn't going to be shot down because it might impact Roe, Roe's gone. Now we have an opportunity to reimagine and reestablish a reproductive freedom movement that can actually do better than Roe. I don't want to hear about codifying Roe. Roe wasn't good enough. It was a starting point, but it wasn't where we should have ended. So I think there is a movement in the reproductive justice movements, and those are the organizations that are women of color-led. They tend to be in those vulnerable communities. They know about the intersectionality. They get, because they live it every day, what it means to have had Roe and not to have Roe, and their daily lives have not changed much. So this is an opportunity to really move forward, to put this issue, you know, people are still calling it super con controversial in America, and I'm like, I don't know what America you live in, but 80% of Americans want abortion to be legal. 
that's not controversial. That's a super majority. We need to start acting like it. We need to start voting like it. And we need constitutional amendments. California is introducing one. I think we could introduce them in dozens of states, not all at once, but but over time and win them. Because during my time in that movement, there were abortion bans in Louisiana and South Dakota, not well-known pro-choice states that we defeated. Because when you go in with what it really means to your lived life and experience and who will now be making decisions in every case, as Dr. Dan pointed out, what does what your health care mean now? And what does your value of your life versus a fetus mean? Now we can, can move forward and do what's right. And I think it'll be led by the reproductive justice movement. I don't see the traditional reproductive rights movement organizations doing anything particularly different than they were doing for the last 40 years. Has the Supreme Court helped delegitimize its status as being one of the supreme arbiters of of American law because of this decision? And can we take confirmation hearings seriously? And as evidence, I, I give everybody this. One of the important things to keep in mind about Roe v. Wade is that it has been reaffirmed many times over the past 45 years, as you know. And most prominently, most importantly, reaffirmed in Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992. The court specifically went through all the factors of stare decisis in considering whether to overrule it. And the joint opinion of Justice Kennedy, Justice O'Connor, and Justice Souter at great length went through that, those factors. That was the question presented in the case. Could I interrupt you to say, since you mentioned stare decisis, and I sat on nine of these hearings, and when the subject comes up, the person says, I will follow stare decisis, and they get confirmed, and then, of course, they don't. I think knowing going into it, how you make a judgment on these issues, is really important to our vote as whether to support you or not. Because I don't want to go back to those death tolls. And I truly believe that women should be able to control their own reproductive systems. And I understand your point of view on that center. And I understand how passionate people feel about this issue. I don't live in a bubble. I understand the importance of the issue. Have your views about whether Roe is settled precedent changed? since you were in the Bush White House? My... Yes or no? Well, I'll tell you what my okay. views, which is as important precedent of the Supreme Court that's been reaffirmed many times, but then Planned Parenthood versus Casey reaffirmed Roe and did so by considering the stare decisis factors. So Casey now becomes a precedent on precedent. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That was then Judge Kavanaugh before he became Justice Kavanaugh. That's his confirmation hearings. What does he say about the standing of the Supreme Court and confirmation hearings? Steve Crone. Look, I think there's three levels to the, the deterioration of the credibility of the court. The first, of course, is the nomination process itself. I won't redo the history, but we all know what happened with Merrick Garland and then subsequently in direct opposition to that with Justice Ginsburg just a few years later. I think that's the first element. The second one is what you just focused on in the recording, which is the, the, the confirmation hearings have become somewhat of a sham. And the third, of course, is the substantive decisions themselves that are, you know, setting rights back, that are unprincipled, that are anchored in, you know, 150 to 250 year old history. I think for all of these reasons, yes, the credibility of our Supreme Court is 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 in grave, grave danger. This is a quick question to anybody on stage now. Feel free to, to unmute. Can or should we, Mark will come to you first then, can or should we reform, or should Americans, I'm a Brit, reform the Supreme Court? Should that be, let's say, a plank that the Democrats go into, let's say, the next presidential election? saying that this is imperative that it needs to happen. I, I mean, I think it is. You know, so my issue right now is, well, there's a, there's a couple of things I want to mention. You know, Steve had talked about the term originalist, you know, and so originalist basically means, as he mentioned, that, you know, a justice will look at the history of of the Constitution, what the founders meant at that moment. But, you know, we if you see the term originalist, you might as well think of that as a dog whistle you know, meaning that they're, you know, anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti, you know, same-sex marriage. Like thinking of it as anything more than that is a mistake. Our Supreme Court right now has almost become like our monarchy. They are able to change the laws. You know, they are changing the laws at a rate, you know, that we, you know, can't even fathom. You know, so we recently, you know, just the EPA has lost power yesterday, I guess it was. Obviously, we lost Roe versus Wade. It looks like they're going to allow prayer back in school. They're reducing the separation of church and state. There was a, a, a sort of a, a, a diminishment of our Fourth Amendment, which is the ability to have a warrant before someone can enter your house. And now basically if Border Patrol, and that's any border, the, the oceans or either side of the continent, top or bottom, if it's Border Patrol within 100 miles, they cannot be sued for entering your house without a warrant. So, you know, as Andrea had said, like it's it, it is it's much bigger than Roe. We are on the verge of losing our democracy. And I blame the majority of that, you know, on the Supreme Court. 
And secondarily, of course, you know, and I'm a Biden supporter, but I blame Biden in this area for not being strong enough and at least at least appearing as though he was in the fight with us. And Royfield, if I may build on what Mark's saying, 100% absolutely. I've tried to take a couple of days with family and really not watch the news. But when the EPA decision also came out on top of all of this, my Lord, I just really. And so there is something afoot here. But I think it's interesting to note that that you know, I was talking with my good friend, Dr. Francine, in the audience, who's always trying to share the alternative view with me. She has said over and over, and I quote her, the conservatives feel that they lost over 40 years ago. The, this, and Amy knows this probably better than anyone on the stage has been, or except for maybe some friends in the audience, that there has this has been a 40-year, you know, effort to overturn Roe versus Wade, right? So there is, and there is this movement back in that direction. And it, it, my concern is that it fundamentally impacts the human rights of many of our friends in the country. And absolutely, we need to pay attention. And again, I say it, get out and vote like your life depends on it, get your corporations, get the sports teams to, you know, not play in certain states, not hold the Super Bowl in a certain place. You know, they should move these things in protest to an infringement on human rights. And potentially we need larger scale political reform, you know, possibly getting rid of the Electoral College, reforming that. You know, there's a number, you know, a new look at the two party system. I mean, these are all long term reforms that we have to come to grips with. But in the first and foremost, we have to protect those when those women and of course those black women and people of color and also the the trans population that are impacted by this first and foremost as a Thank you for that, Andrea. Now, now is the time, and we literally only have about 10 minutes for you, if you are in the audience, to raise your hand and to come up. First off, you have Rick Sanchez. Rick, good friend of mine on the app. Rick, I'm going to need you to be brief, sir, but please make your... Mark said it right. Andrea said it right, that it's all in the states now. I mean, we have to start taking back these states. This is how the Republicans got control of the states. That's where the dirtiest work is happening, redistricting, voter suppression, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, education. All of that happens at the state level. We have to have the determination and the focus the Republicans have had for 50 years to take over those states. We have to get to work. Yes, the senatorial and congressional elections and presidential elections are important. But more important, if we don't take back those states, we lose, period. That's it. That's the end of the story right there. So get out there, work your states, and get out that vote. Thank you, Rick Sanchez, powerfully said and succinctly said. Jenny, so you're Arizona has already, and, and as Andrea knows, I'm often disappointed in Arizona when I give her the opposite point of view from what she thinks is going to happen and when. It always comes from my friends in Arizona who are, who are Republicans mostly and, and who have a much less progressive view on things than I do. But I will say that Arizona has organized a petition drive to put codification of women's rights on the ballot this fall. 
And I would urge everybody to quit saying abortion. This is not about abortion. This is about women's rights as equal human beings. It is about everything else. Abortion is like a totem or a, you know, a metaphor for all the other rights that keep women as chattel. And I'm saying that as someone who grew up in a United States where a woman could not own a checking account if she didn't have her husband's signature on it with her. And she couldn't even have a credit card until, I think, 1970. Dr. Francine, eloquently put, powerfully put. I'm I'm just crazed by this, Roy Field. How can we be going back there? Absolutely, when just about every other country on the planet is strengthening women's access to to healthcare. Jenny, you're up next. And there is somebody with a hot mic, and I can't figure out who it is. There you go, It it was Russell. Jenny, you're up next. Hi. Yeah. So my question is, do does the panel believe that domestic violence will be on the rise where you have fathers who do not want to have the child and there's no access to legal abortions that will take it out on the woman? So I, I, I'm going to answer that. So I work at Lehigh County. Uh, I'm actually the controller at Lehigh County, which is an auditor position. And we already see, you know, even even prior to to this issue that domestic violence is on the rise. And so, yes, I think that, look, you may have a single mother that now has another kid to feed and and is is struggling herself. Whereas you said, you might have two parents and once again, they're struggling. So I, excuse me, I absolutely think that this is going to be a problem. I also, if if it's okay, I want to give a quick shout out to, to a group called Men for Choice. And so for men out there that, you know, are for choice, which 60% of us are, you know, take a look at that group because it, it helps men understand how they can help this movement. Great shout. Rodrigo, you're up next. This is a question, a legal question so to anyone who, who might be prepared to answer. My reading second, third hand of this decision is that it is largely a statement on the idea of substantive due process. And if I'm right about that, that despite their protests, it will stand as an influence on the court regarding that question, what are the consequences that we can expect to see both in the cases brought to the court and their likely decisions? It sounds like a Steve Crone question. Yeah, we've already briefly addressed this. I would just say that there's a distinction between predicting what the court will do and the principle of the decision, right? I think I personally don't think it's particularly likely in the short term that we will see other substantive due process rights being overturned, but that's just a prediction. I have no way of knowing whether I'm right or wrong. What I will say is, as I said at the outset, the decision is highly unprincipled, the decision in the Dobbs case, because its own logic would dictate, as Justice Thomas points out in his concurrence, that those rights aren't constitutionally protected. So it's, it's, it's doubly frightening. It's it's scary because some people are concerned that those other rights will be under attack. And even if they aren't, it's an illustration of how unprincipled this decision is. Thank you for that answer, Steve. Shania D, you're up next. The only thing I ask, Shania, just be really concise with your point. Sure, absolutely. Thanks to all the panelists. My question is, one of the things that I've been hearing about is that In addition to concerns around the abortion pill, Traxate, which is used for cancer and lupus and 
rheumatoid arthritis, other autoimmune conditions, it is an abortifacent. And my understanding is that some doctors and pharmacies are no longer either prescribing it to patients or carrying it. It's been described in some quarters, I guess you could say, as overcorrection by doctors and pharmacies given the legal chaos. What do the panelists, and particularly Dr. Dan as a medical professional, what can we do to give doctors the comfort of being able to treat patients, first of all, who have these conditions that are totally unrelated to using certain drugs or treatments to induce abortion? But also more generally, is there anything we can do to reassure the legal community, I'm, I'm sorry, the medical community and preserve access in a way that they won't be overcorrecting out of fear of prosecution or other consequences? Great point. So I think these are where the medical associations step in, be it the AMAs, the end of the AAPs. Every state is going to have a, a nuance to their interpretation. And I think that's where the clarity comes from, to give cover for those doctors or healthcare providers who actually are in those areas and who practice in those states. So that that's one. The part is that definitely doctors definitely have to then document even better to make sure that it's clear it is for this indication and these are the rationale. Our electronic medical records have to sync up with that. So there are different layers to that. But I think the medical associations will have a big plan that the departments of health for those states would have a big plan that usually communicate clearly with the state providers. So that's what will need to happen. Unfortunately, this is a slippery slope. So certain people may get persecuted if they're not clear on what the guidelines for their state is. But thank you for raising that up. Other medications also are on the on the Great. Um, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Dan, for answering the question. Thank you, Shania D. Excellent question. Russell, and Russell, as I've said to everybody here, because I've literally only got about 10 minutes left of this recording, please make your point, but really make it as succinct as, as possible. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is how a constitutional republic works. We don't live in a democracy. It's up to the states. It's up to the states. If the states want to have their way with abortion laws, so be it. And someone mentioned the 1998 or the 1988 bill about women getting loans. My stepmother was instrumental in writing that, and she was the head of the Oklahoma Republican Party. So there's a, there's a lot of disinformation out there about how conservatives want to oppress women. That's bullshit. Thank you. I, I think conservatives, or at least the Republican Party of the 1970s or the 1980s, isn't the Republican Party of now is what I'd say to you, Russell. And that's purely as an outsider, as a Brit looking at American politics, at least with certain issues that become utterly wedge issues for, for some conservatives. And uh, they're almost a testament of faith. And it does actually end up with women having less rights. The Republican Party, dare I say, has moved rightward since the 70s, the 80s, e even the 90s. But thank you for... You're Russell. welcome. You come from a democracy. Oh, we're not a democracy. We're a republic. And this is how it works. A absolutely. That's, that's kind of a, it's kind of a crazy statement, Russell, just to be honest. So first off, if you believe women should have rights in, in any particular it's, state, it's called certainly the they can have rights throughout the United States. Like, we weren't meant to be a federation of states. We're supposed to be going towards a more perfect union and the direction that the Republican Party wants to go is more towards a federation of states than a union. Great point, Mark. Skylogic, you are up next. I've said this to everybody, but I just need to reiterate it. 
make your point, but please be succinct, sir. Go for it. Sure. It's a statement more than a question. Yeah, as another person from the UK, a so-called Brit, um, yeah, what comes next after Roe v. Wade? I mean, at least Roe v. Wade, it affects USA citizens, you know, so... But the next thing, you know, what comes next, the reduction of powers of the EPA, that affects citizens of the whole world. You know, these so-called pro-life people are actually, you know, they're, they're going to contribute towards the cessation of the whole of human life as we know it on this planet. You know, that's my point. Thank you for that. Your point was succinct, but also powerfully made. Thank you for that, Sky Logic. Ashwin, you have the honour of being the last person on stage. Go for it, sir. Oh, thank you, Roy Field. Good to see you and everyone else here. Uh, yeah, my question is just in regards to Roe v. Wade and what the, the outcome of that decision is for the rest of the world, specifically Europe, which uh, we are, you, me, we're all familiar with what's going on in the UK abortion-wise. But how does this ruling, does it give credence to those in Poland where abortion is basically banned except for very tiny cases does it give right does it give credence to some of the anti-abortion groups within europe so that's just my own. excellent point i don't know who wants to to take that all right i'll, I'll quickly jump in and, and i'll say this ashwin that boris johnson conservative prime minister of the united kingdom and he came out kind of strongly against this macron has he's also right of center played the clip earlier where we did the world reacts and ireland Catholic Ireland, of which just 20, let's say 30 years ago, the local parish priest had a disproportionate say over local mores. Ireland has now had a half Indian gay Taoiseach. They're very much liberal when it comes to a woman's independence and autonomy, when it comes to women's rights. We are, we are talking about Poland and Hungary, and I'd say those two countries are outliers in this. But yes, it does actually give the ruling party in Poland extra wind in its sails. And this is a very, and their ruling to make abortion illegal in Poland last year has been incredibly contentious in Poland. Some of the stories of women dying because they, because doctors wouldn't treat them, even though they had life-threatening conditions and they were pregnant at the same time, are utterly harrowing. And this is a very live issue in Poland and, and also in Hungary. I think those two countries are outliers when it comes to women's rights and access to, to abortion. But it will strengthen those regimes. Viktor Orban in Hungary, it will strengthen his right-wing agenda and his control over women's bodies. There's no two ways about it. But we need to also temper that with the fact that many countries around the world are going completely in, in the opposite direction. And I just want to end with this clip because if Anything should be a rallying call for all right-thinking Americans to be voting for candidates who are anti this decision. I, I don't know what is, but this is the last clip, and then we're going to wrap this room up. As you might expect, access to abortion plummeting right now across the country after the court overturned Roe v. Wade and protests and celebrations, they're growing just about everywhere. Wrecking court overnight, the right to an abortion has changed for a handful of states. Emotions no doubt extreme on either side of the issue and many fear for the future of women's rights. Emotions erupting across the country. We will rise up! We will rise up! Protesters into the streets and marching into the night. In Arizona, tear gas fired at crowds after an unlawful assembly. 
Here in Missouri, most abortions are now illegal. In fact, 13 states already have trigger laws in place, either banning or restricting the ability for a woman to get an abortion. The decision is implemented by states. My administration is going to focus on how they administer and whether or not they violate other laws, like deciding to not allow people to cross state lines to get public health services. Lawmakers even marching alongside protesters. This is part of the Republican Party's dark vision for America. They want to roll back every possible right that has been earned over the decades. And trying to tell women what to do with their bodies, that is absolutely ridiculous, our choice. Meantime, many GOP lawmakers see this historic ruling as a major victory. Thank you, Amy Everett, Mark Pinsley, Steve Crone, Andrea Sikorsko, Dr. Dan, for being part of our esteemed panel. Thank you for everybody in the audience who has come along. You've given up an hour and 30 minutes of your time to listen to some experts talk about this incredibly important issue. The, the good news is, if you are on the right side of history and the right side of this debate, is that the midterms are generally bad for the party in power. 538, the election tracking service, puts the Senate now at a toss-up. Yes, it still says that the Democrats, if, if the election was to happen today or tomorrow, would lose Congress. But things are now actually moving very, very decidedly in the Democrats' favour. That's according to 538. And they are Nostradamus when it comes to reading the runes, when it comes to America and, and how it's going to vote. So if ever the, the, the leader of the free world, America, needed to, needed to show that this its notion of democracy isn't just something which is notional but actually real, Americans need to now step up and to vote for candidates who can actually stop on the state level, states ratifying this decision, and then America needs to look into the near future as to how it can enshrine into law a woman's right to her own autonomy, a right which is shared by British women, Irish women, Italian, Spanish, Uruguayan, Brazilian, you name it, just about every woman on the planet. With a few notable exceptions in autocracies and theocracies like Saudi Arabia, North Korea, etc., do not have. America really needs to look at the countries of which it's now lying up with, with the passing of this law, to know that it's on the wrong side of movement when it comes to a woman's right to choose. Now, this has been Mid-Atlantic. I'm Royfield Brown. Give everybody on stage a follow. I think they've been most excellent. And we do want to have them all back again soon on the show. If you listen to this at home, please download the Clubhouse app. And then it means that you can be in the audience for a live recording of the podcast. It means that you have the, you have the ability then to raise your hand and actually be on the podcast. Left of thinking politics is right thinking politics. So we don't demonize our right-leaning brothers and sisters. We try and win them over the strength of our argument. This is the argument completely to hammer home to those who believe that the state, whether it is the national state or the local state, has autonomy over a woman's body. It does not. We need to be on, on the side of giving women independence. And, and it's something which we shouldn't shirk away from. America needs to do the right thing in November and vote for candidates who appreciate that a woman has the right to choose. I'm Royfield Brown. This has been Mid-Atlantic. Thank you for being part of the show. Everybody on stage, thank you for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.